is it's good to be with a people that like to sing more so than be sung to or at. So amen. If you turn with me this evening to Philippians chapter three, I thought both in the morning and evening today, as last Lord's Day, we would leave off our regular studies. Holidays, many coming and going, certainly seeking a New Year's theme this morning, thoughts of whatever it may be our place to, well I almost used the word endure, endure, enjoy, whatever the year may hold, we may do it faithfully and with the Lord's presence. But somewhat on that theme as well this evening from Philippians 3. I want to break into the chapter and begin reading in verse 8, or verse 7 rather. Paul has just been giving of his own testimony, his heritage, we might even say his religious credentials. But from verse 7 we read, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in any other thing, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Amen. We trust again God's own blessing on the public reading of his inspired word. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, tonight as we have come together in corporate worship and praise, 
Truly there's fellowship in the communion of the saints. You speak in the New Testament to us about speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Lord, we have and do enjoy that in this place. And we ask that we might with hearts that have expressed worship and praise and testimony and song now have hearts that are eager to hear what your word will have for us. So bless us in these moments now we pray in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. The portion that we've looked at this evening is not unfamiliar. If you know anything of the New Testament and the life of the Apostle, this is one place that figures somewhat prominently. Paul, the section we did not read in this third chapter, puts forth his credentials. He does so in a context of those who have sought to boast in their own credentials, have sought in many ways to put down those at Philippi, the Judaizers that were, as they did in other places, seeking to draw out disciples after themselves. Paul told the Galatians that these men wanted to glory in their flesh. Think of the glory of winning such proselytes and, well, we know where all the attention goes and something that's other than Christ or gospel centered. Well, Paul here, well, if you could silence a crowd as it were, there was no Judaizer that had greater credentials than did Paul. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a disciple schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. You couldn't have better credentials than him. And yet he says that he's counted all this loss. He's counted all these things but done that he might win Christ. And as he does so, he gives an interesting testimony and a charge to the Philippians and indeed to us. And it's to that charge, in many ways, I want to focus on the verses that are later in the chapter from verse 13 and following. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing on was what Paul was all about, and yet he wasn't pressing on in something different than a gospel context. He knew what he had and he knew what he was in Christ. And he knew what he didn't have in himself, and he abandoned that. But in having Christ, in having all things, if you will, in Christ, it didn't mean that Paul was somehow dead, as it were, somehow inactive, somehow lackadaisical or quiet, as it were, in his pursuits. His pursuits just took on a different flavor. They weren't pursuits seeking to attain righteousness. They were zealous pursuits, heartfelt pursuits from the heart of one who'd been freely given righteousness in the gospel of Christ. And so I want to look at these verses where the apostle gives something of his own experience as an example, he said, for us. And if you look with me, first of all, this evening, can we speak a little bit about Paul's experience? 
What was Paul's frame of mind with regard to what he had and what he was doing, as it were, as a believer in Christ? Paul gives us twice here, look at verse 12, not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In Paul's experience, if you will, he knows that he is not already glorified. He knows that he's not already perfect. And so in his experience, he gives us a confession of what he's not already attained. Now, he's not doing here what he does in Romans, giving a careful delineation of justification and sanctification and glorification and all those component parts of conversion and experience. But he's speaking of Christian living. And I say there's a frame of mind that belongs to the apostle here. He's not in any way ignorant or casting off thoughts and assurance and confidence with regard to imputed righteousness, a perfect standing before God in Christ Jesus. He's looking at himself. He's looking at his own personal activity, if you will, and the things of God. And his frame of mind is one of not having attained. He recognizes that he needs to grow in grace, as we read elsewhere from the Apostle Peter. And I think it's interesting because this is a proper gospel mindset. We talk a lot here about the twin dangers of legalism and antinomianism. It's because they're so easy to fall into, whether in the full-born technical doctrinal ways or just in shades of emphasis. And one of the things that I submit to you that is common to the legalist and the antinomian is that both of them, and we've said before, they really are the same theology wearing different clothes, both of them have the mindset of having already attained. Now we might think of the legalist as the one who has this list. He wants to show that list to you, show you how he's done it all and you need to be like him. Well, he's pressing on. He's keeping up with his list, if you will. But he's content with that list. He has self-worth from that list. He is able to comfort himself. He is able in many cases to put you down from that list that he's achieved. He's attained. He holds up for God to see. He holds out for you to see. And he holds to look at himself. Well, we can see that. But what about the antinomian? We think often he's got the mindset there's nothing to attain. He doesn't care. No, I don't think that's the religious antinomian at all. The religious antinomian just wants you to get out of his way. He's content that what he has is sufficient. What you're telling him he needs is unnecessary. He's attained already. Whether that comes in the form of 
the American evangelical version of what we call decisionism. I raise my hand, at least I'm going to heaven, I can live like the devil, I'm eternally secure. That's out there. It's been out there for years. That's a mindset of having attained. They're both legal. They're both not gospel. And that isn't Paul's mindset. His frame of mind, I say his experience is, he hasn't attained. He's been granted full pardon. He's been granted an imputed righteousness, a perfect standing in the sight of God. But until that day we've been singing much about tonight, the day of Christ's appearing, the day as we read in the close of this chapter of Him changing our vile body to be made like unto His glorious body, there's still change that needs to be wrought in us. Remember that great gospel distinction about work done for us and work done in us. Paul's talking here about work being done in him. And he is quite capable, he is quite happy, quite willing to say, I haven't already attained. That's his experience. If you think with me, secondly, I want to come to that 14th verse where he speaks about pressing toward the mark. We see him here striving. We see here his exertion. The Christian life is not one of apathy. It's not one of just floating along. In many ways, the Christian life, I say, is one of exertion. It's one of striving against the tide of swimming upstream with everything in this world and we've talked very recently in Romans 12 about what a worldly mindset is it would be flowing away from our God away from his law away from conformity to the image of Christ and we must strive against that tide Paul says forgetting those things which are behind. Paul here is casting aside all past attainments, whatever kind, whether a self-righteous exertion in Phariseeism or even genuine Christian growth in grace. He still recognizes that the distance between his experience now, his moral condition now, and what it will be in glory is massive. And so he's not content. He exerts himself. He presses toward the mark. He puts here the example of striving toward a goal. And you think about the many metaphors. I remember preaching several years ago about New Testament metaphors on Christian experience. You know, they're not uh, calm, if you will. Soldiers, athletes, striving. Well, here's the apostles testimony it's one of exertion it's one of pressing toward the mark we look for a day in which we will be changed it'll be a work a final work wrought in us that conforms us ultimately and eternally to the image of Christ we will as McShane speaks love him with an unsinning heart 
But does Paul wait for that miracle? That extraordinary instantaneous experience of glorification at the advent? Or does he strive to see change, real change in himself now? He's preaching in many ways in this chapter against perfectionists is a word we might use in our doctrinal titles. The people he's combating in this chapter. Does his fight against the perfectionists mean that there's no need to strive? There's no need to seek to improve our spiritual experience? To have less attraction to the world and more attraction and affection for Christ? The whole tenor of the New Testament is one of growing in grace. Of having deeper spiritual experience. And I say here, we see in the Apostle himself, exertion. He doesn't teach, he doesn't affirm Christian perfection, that perfection can or will be attained in this life. But yet that reality doesn't cast off the reality of striving, of striving toward that. Of course, that brings us to the third thought I want to put before you tonight, and that is one of example. And here's where the pursuit of alliteration this evening gets a little weak. There's really a goal. There's a mark that Paul's pressing toward. Here's where we step back and do rest on our theology and our understanding. He presses toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. If we look at Christ himself, if we look at a mark, if we look at a goal that as Christians we should practically pursue, remember I've said often with regard to those pieces of our salvation, we believe in total depravity, total inability, that we're dead in trespasses and sins. We cannot breathe life into ourselves. We don't make God regenerate us by doing some spiritual activity that we have no ability to do. No, regeneration is a a sovereign act of God. It's He that initiates and not we. But once He breathes life into us, we aren't dead anymore. We do strive. And there is before us a goal. And that goal, of course, would be the moral perfection of our God. It is what is outlined for us in that very first covenant. And of course, what is summed up in that one word of love. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To have that love successfully cast out every distracting thought, everything that would take away, everything that would be disobedient, everything that would not be in conformity to God's own moral perfection. And we speak of that in the moral law of God. I love the, could we say, retort of Horatius Bonner to some in his day that were seeking to make too much of a gap between the Old and New Testament. 
We struggle with that in our generation, with the dispensationalists. And those in his day were suggesting that Christians need not look at the law of God. We have a better and a higher goal to pursue, if you will, and that is the goal of Christ-likeness. And that sounds noble and worthy. But Bonner's retort, I say unto these, was this. What was Christ's life? Christ's life was of one perfect, complete obedience to the God. How can we seek to be Christ-like and be ignorant and unmindful of God's law? Of His description of what love looks like. And there's no gulf between Old and New Testament morality. It is all one and the same. It is God's morality. And so the example that is put before him is that perfect love. He presses toward the mark. Let us be jealous on that. I do not pull back from repetition, as you know, but I think in the terminology of the Puritans and their use of the law, we push it away as a covenant of works, as a prideful attempt at meriting our own righteousness. We push the law away. It's an insult to God. It's an insult to the law to suggest we can do that. But as a rule of life, having Christ's doing of that law reckoned as ours, as a rule of life, as a standard that is set before us, as a goal that we are to press toward because we will live in conformity to that law in heaven forever, it's a worthy goal for us now. It's the only goal for us now. And the fact that we want perfectly in thought, word, and deed achieve that until we're glorified should not put us off from pressing hard after it now. Happily, joyfully pressing after it now. His goal is that prize, the mark the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And come with me lastly then to think of Paul's expectation. It's a day in which that goal will be reached. It's an interesting thing in verse 15 we read together again, let us therefore as many as be perfect. Of course that word the New Testament so often has the idea of maturity and not sinless perfection. But I think there are many that may be onto something here as the commentaries speak of perhaps a gentle irony or even a one said striking paradox as the apostle puts this terminology to these Judaizers in their presentation of some perfectionism that we would call it to these Philippian believers. Jeffrey Wilson says, By a striking paradox, Paul bids those who hold themselves perfect to prove that they are so by a consciousness of their imperfection. Paul says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Well, what was Paul's mindset? 
I haven't already attained. There's more ground to be gained. There's more likeness to Christ to seek and to achieve in this life as I await that final, full, forever likeness to Him in glory. And so He has an expectation. He's looking for that prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We have a lot of voices that will speak to us in this year as we know they speak to us always. Let us with the apostle hear gospel voices. Let us heed what we find in scripture. Let us have scripture and the God of scripture be what holds our reverence, our fear. I think so often we as Christians are tempted to Look at the church. Look at individual Christians. Kind of do some numbers in our head. Well, how many Christians think this way about such and such a thing and how many think the other way? And Well, that's not the standard. God's Word is the standard. Let us be people of the book. Let us be people that fear God and not man even religious man. Let us with the apostle not shrink away from this mindset. I haven't already attained. Whatever credentials, whatever background, whatever experience, whatever connections I might have in the best of churches, what is that? Let me look at, let me rejoice in And let me follow my Savior. With a gospel security, with a gospel contentedness to be able to say, I haven't attained. That's going to free us from a legal spirit. It's going to free us from an antinomian spirit. It's going to thrust us forth with a Christ-like spirit looking unto Jesus. So let us hear the Apostle's testimony and let us follow him. Let's bow our heads together. (coughs) Lord, tonight we ask you might give us to know something of the simplicity of these words and yet we fear in an age such as our own words and often are not heeded. Let us not shrink back from even such a phrase, I press toward the mark. Give us to do that in a gospel way. Lord, prosper your word to us in this day. Help us to think again on those many names, those many individuals we considered something of this morning who will we be in this year how will we respond to whatever this year may bring may we resolve with the apostle may we press on with the apostle to be faithful come what may 
We ask these things again in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.